Uh, hi, my name is uh, Steven Obisanya. I am a documentary photographer based in Staten Island, New York City. Hi, Steven. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, man. Appreciate All right. It. So I want to give my my listeners, whoever they may be, uh, yeah. some context as to why you're on here. Um, we live in a very special building in New York <laughs> City where every single one of us in this building, it's a small apartment building. Uh, we all get along, we're all artists, <laughs> and we're all kind of seem to find a way to work with one another to ensure that the process of living here isn't totally overwhelming mm -hmm. and taking up all of our emotional capacity. <laughs> <laughs> and so what that looks like is taking in mail for one another, mm -hmm. leaving packages for one another so they don't get stolen off the steps, uh, stuff like that. And when I was making my film in July... Just kind of them being really cool about the fact that I kind of took over the building intermittently here and there, the backyard, the basement, the stairwell. Uh, and, and, and that's sort of just kind of how, it, how it's been going over the past couple of years living in this building. And now I think it's time that we start meeting everybody <laughs> here. Uh, and so the first person from the building that we're going to meet is Steven, who is a photographer uh, and a podcaster. Yeah. So yeah, um, let's start with... Let's start with what you're doing now uh, and kind of a, a brief summary of how, you know, how do you see yourself? How do you want the world to see you? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, you know it's, it's funny you mentioned um, all the things we've been like uh, up to recently. Um, and I was really grateful for, for the, you know, the blackout we had for what, what was it like a night or close to a night? Because um, I feel like that was like the, the impetus for us all to like really get to start getting to know one another um, and I think New York City and many other cities across the country doesn't really I feel like we've gotten so used to being in the speed of getting things done and being busy that we forget you know to really make the connections that matter with the people closest to us so you know we live in the same building but we don't really get to have long-winded conversations about everything and anything so i'm really you know glad that we've been able to slowly get to a place where we're now you know um fully getting to know one another um what i've been up to lately <laughs> um i mean i've been lucky to have had a few exhibitions uh uh happening here on staten island uh, around my my work that I've been you know working on for I want to say the past five years, so that's been really exciting. Um, it's been hard to kind of get a consistency of work going though. Um, I've been out of work since March, um, and have just been kind of like piecemealing uh, uh, from that point on till now. Um, so I'm working on a few photo projects that haven't been really able to and they haven't taken off because i can't be near people <laughs> so that kind of sucks um and i'm currently working on a, a print shop i'm working on launching a print shop um i i worked on that i set it up last year but i didn't feel fully prepared to put it out so um i think conditions now are forcing me to kind of move forward with that so i'm working on that and hopefully that launches in like a week or two Tell me about your podcast. Oh, yeah. So uh, the podcast is called Artisans in Trade. Um, so that has a, a very long-winded um, story behind it, but I'll try to keep it very short. Um, 
back in 2014, I got to meet uh, a guy who was the father of um, the a mentor figure that was training me in Kung Fu at the time. Um, so I got to meet his dad. His dad is a painter. He's this just very knowledgeable guy that, you know, um, just had a lot of insights into a lot of, you know, different things. So uh, I got to meet him. I got to see his work. And we started talking about um, the process behind his work and just how he's gone on to make work for more than 20 years. And that conversation was one of the first conversations that really fascinated me and really intrigued me. I was still in the process of discovering what a creative was at the time and, you know, trying to figure out, I was just a year into photography at the time. So I was trying to figure out who I was as a photographer, what I was trying to do, what I was trying to say with my work. And I think he kind of gave me a sense of direction in that I was curious about people who were making, you know, um, artworks. Um, and uh, that got me really interested in visiting his studio space to photograph him and interview him and get to know um, about all of that experience. And then I had a vision of like getting to visit a lot more studios of different artists um, in New York City or wherever they may be and just getting to really interview them and get to know more about their process of work. And I was going to put all that into like a body of work, uh, maybe into a book form and then put that out. Um, and over the years, I just, you know, at the time I was very early into photography, so I didn't really know how to take good photos. Um, so it was, it was very challenging to like step up to the plate to like, you know, um, take photos that I thought were, you know, uh, of high quality. So I sat on the idea for a while. I photographed uh, this guy, Warren Lyons. Um, I photographed him, but the photos, you know, weren't really like spectacular. So I sat on the idea for a while. I met somebody else, uh, another artist on Staten Island, um, Sarah Yuster. Um, and I photographed her as well, but it was just never really like, I mean, I have, I have very high standards of what my photographs should look like and what they should um, be. And I just never met those standards. So I just sat on the idea for a long time. Let's uh, philosophize a little bit. What, yeah. What's your idea? What is your idea of a high quality photo? Like, uh, do I assume that uh, you have some sort of perfectionist bug in you. Yes. So, so what does that mean? Um, yeah, the perfectionism thing is a, is a really terrible thing because it's, it's great because it gets me to like, you know, um, make work that I like and that, you know, really functions, that meets my standards. But it's also like crippling because um, it lets you, it never lets you get to a place where you feel satisfied and fulfilled. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's just a, uh, for me, I always want things to be as, um, as refined as possible. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't get it to, in, in my own way to the point where I don't, you know, uh, put things out, but I also want things to be the finest representation of what I was capable of doing at the time. Right. Um, I don't know where that comes from. But uh, I have a very, like, visually aesthetic, a high visual aesthetic standard that I apply to a lot of things that I do. Um, and if things fall short of that, I don't know, for me, it feels like a failure. So I always want to try to, like, meet that or surpass it. 
I don't know how you operate within that kind of like world. Well, it's um, for me, it took it took many, many years to accept imperfection as a form of perfection. Hmm. So it's um, I was actually on my way here to do this podcast episode. I was listening to NPR and they were interviewing a poet who was talking about how too much refining of her work can actually remove the spark that initially got her to write that uh, a particular poem. Mm. And I and I feel like that's the sort of the same thing on my end where it, I have to I, I'm all all about refining and refining and refining yeah. until but if if that initial sort of spark of inspiration is lost yeah. then I need to kind of peel things back and be like, all right, where did I lose it? And because uh, I'm you know, in film school we were always about doing everything perfectly. Mm. Like everything had to look and sound and feel like a Hollywood movie. <laughs> nothing could look indie. Nothing could look underground. And then after I came to New York, that was no longer the big necessity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the big film festival circuits, you kind of had to do stuff a little more refined. But with some of the hole in the wall festivals that I really warmed to, uh, suddenly the the sort of reminder that it's a human medium <laughs> mm. uh really took really was really accepted and took hold and so i sort of be, fell in love with scratches on film right i fell in love with uh hiss on the soundtrack <laughs> uh, yeah. you know stuff like that um and so i sort of learned had had to relearn how to appreciate the medium i work in yeah uh by accepting that this idea of perfection was slowing me down mm. Oh, I have to hold on to this script because I don't have the right camera, or mm. I have to hold on to this one because it's just not the right season to film it, or or whatever. Uh, that 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 was what was holding me back for many many years. Yeah, um, and and I mean, I I think that's a that's a good approach uh, to making sure that you are not getting in your own way and you're you're embracing you know the the imperfections that come with the craft that you're you're. Um, taken on um well you know my hardest lesson was with the first movie i made in this building uh i don't know if you were living here at the time but we made a movie called death and life which is sort of a an interpretation of the book by jane jacobs the death and life of great american cities hmm. do you know that book no not at all she she basically breaks down why our government housing projects in the state of new york are anti-city anti-human and basically designed to keep the population away from the street where and she sort of goes into these philosophies about how actually safety in the urban environment doesn't come from police or laws but comes from life on the streets and if you take life away from the streets mm. like those projects do they're going to make them less safe and wow. her her examples take basically take you all over the five boroughs uh, it's an historic work of uh, writing just because it changed kind of the way cities are planned. Hmm. Um, and she wrote it in the Robert Moses era. Do you know about him? Uh, he, he the, built, uh, yeah, I only know him as the big, uh, what do you call it, developer at the time. Yeah, he was the developer of the all those big bridges and the right. highways. And, and he destroyed a lot of communities with his projects. So she be, was going, her... Um, she, she was the opposition. Right. And he, he, if he had had his way, he would, he, you know, to put this into perspective, the biggest thing that he did uh, in terms of destroying uh, 
a whole neighborhood was he put the Cross Bronx Expressway through uh, east, uh, um, a neighborhood called East Tremont. Hmm. And this was a fully functional, perfectly safe neighborhood. Uh, and then when he put down the Cross Bronx, if you guys can hear this cat mewing, Jan, can you <laughs> let the cat into the into the door, please? I'd rather have that noise than her noise. Uh, sorry, guys. If you're a listener to this podcast, you know this is normal. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, he, he, he lays this high, the, the Cross Bronx Expressway down through East Tremont, splits the neighborhood into two, and suddenly all the resources that were available to everybody is only available to some on one side and some on the other side. And suddenly the whole neighborhood becomes dilapidated and undesirable. And this happened across the city. This is why we had now have bad neighborhoods, quote-unquote bad neighborhoods, and why why a person like Jane Jacobs became instrumental. Uh, she basically found out that they were planning to run a highway through the West Village and Soho and mm. connect it to the Brooklyn Bridge. And she she was the only person who could defeat him. And wow. And so I took her philosophies and I made it into a film called Death in Life. And that that movie changed the way I sort of pursued filmmaking because I no longer panicked about something not being perfect. I no longer panicked about not having it the way it's scripted. Mm. That, that used to shut me down. I used yeah. to be like, oh, it's not going the way it should. We need to stop. Uh, instead, I, I embraced it. I embraced every little change and I worked with it and I built onto it. I embraced new mediums that I previously wouldn't have. Like yeah. I'm, I was never a fan of like stop motion animation. Right. And... I, I kind of experimented with that a little bit on this. And and honestly, like, I'm thankful for that experience because it really made me a lot more productive. It opened my eyes to what the possibilities were with the medium. Yeah. And uh, Fractals, which I just filmed in July, is an mm. extension of that. Again, experimenting with mediums that I previously wouldn't have touched because maybe my brain saw them as imperfect. Right, right. There's no way I could do it perfectly the way somebody who specializes in that medium could do it, so why should I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had to shut that thinking down. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's hard work, man. I think it's, it's a lot of unlearning that has to be done. Even for myself, I think there's a lot of there's ways to go in terms of understanding that... Um, everything doesn't have to be fully refined. And I mean, the podcast was a great example. I mean, jumping back to, to the podcast, um, you know, I, I just wanted everything to be perfect. And, you know, the idea of, you know, doing a podcast during uh, COVID, uh, during lockdown, um, was not really pleasant to me because I'm like, I don't want to, you know, um, give something that is not of the highest quality and you know recording via zoom is not bad it, it's okay but i was like i i don't want to give up on quality um yeah. and it was kind of like at this i was at kind of like at this juncture of do you decide to hold on to quality and you know not be sure when you will launch this podcast because you don't know when lockdown is going to be over or do you forego that and just say, I'm just going to put something out because the idea and the stories and the lessons from, you know, the guests that you're having on is far more um, important than, you know, the quality. The quality will always catch up, yeah. um, but the lessons are can be applied right now. 
So um, that's kind of what got me to like, okay, let me start this thing where, you know, I can start to have guests on that can shed a lot of light on um, what it's like to develop as an artist and then, you know, um, refine yourself on the way to becoming a professional artist. So that's kind of the, the gist of the the podcast. It's basically to serve as uh, a a resource for emerging artists and creatives um, to hear everything from arts to design um, insights and to just get to hear from like-minded creatives um, and artists and also people who are seasoned professionals um, and how they've been able to um, really grow into their craft. And, you know, it's for me, it's taken a lot of like learning um up until now to like understand the direction of like, oh, this is what it's like to be an, a host. This is how you ask the proper questions that gets a lot out of the, the guests. Um, it's taken me 12 episodes to learn that. So um, I think I now have a direction of like, okay, this is how you get, because I mean, you know, you get someone on a podcast and you want to learn about their story and their background and their history and you want, you're personally invested in them. Um, but you have to think of, you know, what serves the audience rather than your curiosity, you know? Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think it sounds professional. I think it sounds more professional than mine, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the fact that you nailed it down in 12 episodes, it got to be a record. I've been around <laughs> a lot of podcasters and there are some who are in the 400 range right now yeah, yeah. who are unpacking so many unnecessary questions. Like, yes. Like, uh, like there, there's this one person who I had previously been working with who um, he was a generally good, genuinely good interviewer when I first started working with him, but then things in life started affecting him. And then when we started uh, sort of doing podcasts in his home, he started unpacking questions and comments that didn't really need to be like, mm. why are you focusing on that? When yeah. this other thing that this person is doing is so much more interesting and so much more relevant to the world right now. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like, and, and I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think 12, getting that in 12 episodes is, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it, literally, it's been like every single episode. I'm like, Nope, that was not it. Nope. That was not it. Um, and then there's a few that will have like the, nuggets of like ooh, this is what i'm after um and it's just really taken some time to really figure out um how to ask the proper questions that really gets to the heart of um what emerging people uh, emerging creatives will want to hear about and i I think that there's a podcast episode that i haven't edited yet that i'm going to be working on um that kind of gets to that point of this is what this person is doing. This is how they've been able to go from zero to where they're at and, um, you know, focusing on pricing and how to figure out, you know, how to set prices as a a creative. And just a lot of these things that I know I'm trying to learn about. And I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are new in their field are trying to learn about as well. So I want to be able to like directly propose or present those um, resources in the most transparent way possible yeah and that's definitely a useful resource in this day and age where yeah. most of the content seems to be just about uh obsessing over somebody else's work in pop culture yeah uh and uh this is definitely a useful tool for people to use who can't 
you know, if they can't afford a tuition to a college where they'll find the mentor exactly. who will teach them that. Yeah. I mean, the episode of yours that focused on, um, you know, uh, establishing an LLC or, like, just a lot of those, like, oh, business yeah, yeah. Um, insights, I was like, yeah, I'm in the process of figuring out if I should uh, put, uh, set up an LLC. And then I listened to your episode, and I was like, well, that's the answer that I needed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. read a lot of articles, and I was just like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll if I read, the, you know, five articles this week, I'll understand, you know, um, whether I need to set it up and, and everything just, you know, they explained, but they didn't really answer the question that I was after. And then I listened yeah. to your podcast and literally in five minutes I knew, don't set up an LLC yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if you're on an out-of-pocket budget, it makes no sense. Yeah, like, so it's like... I did that initially when I was working with clients and I'm like, well, if I'm not really all that protected and I'm still putting, withdrawing and putting in money... At, in terms of how I operate anyway, why don't I just use my social? Like, exactly. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, and it would only make sense if I had an, an outside investor who who wanted me to have a staff to right. run things for right. me. And then that would make sense for yeah. me. Yeah. So I think that's the value of, like, you know, um, when we're talking about podcasts and resources online, I mean, there's plentiful resources online. And even sometimes I get tripped out because I'm like, why would someone listen to my podcast when they're like, millions of articles well, explaining the same because things. Because those articles don't really... Exactly. They don't take a position on whether you should or shouldn't. They're yeah. usually written by lawyers or whatever saying, here's the legal reasons, but they almost never apply to the real world exactly. that you're living in exactly. or that so I'm living in. I think it's really good to have someone in your position, in my position, that can really either personally present um, cases based on experience yeah. or have people on who are qualified enough to like give opinion on a lot of these things because that way you know you're able to just know instantly that okay this is the right decision for me okay i need to do this i need to set my prices at this rate because this is what this person has done and it just makes life easier yeah what so uh do you ever we kind of talked a little bit about this before i started recording but the one thing that i don't think people talk about it certainly didn't talk about it at my film school, and I don't hear a lot of people talking about it in my undergrad, and because these were my initial trainings, right? Mm-hmm. About how to how, when entering the world of the arts, right? That it's never going to feel the way you think it's going to feel, and it never feels the way other people think it feels for you. You know what I'm saying? So, like we were talking about hmm. the people's perception of a gallery opening, for yes. example, yeah. to them, to the outsider, it's bigger than it feels to the self. Yes. And I and hearing that from you like reminded me of every film festival I've ever been to, every award mm-hmm. uh, I've ever won. It's just it's a thing. It's an object that comes in the mail, or it's an email that I receive, right. and then maybe I'll go and attend it. But it's never it never feels like the way it <laughs> looks on TV when you see somebody on a red carpet. Yeah, even though I've been there. It's it's noisy, or maybe I'm thinking about something else. Maybe I got a bill earlier that day that I got to figure out how to pay, <laughs> and that's where my head is at. And it's right. never in the zone of the the onlooker who is just oh wow, they're living that life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because um, I, I thought about this uh, a little a few years ago, where I had to like sit with the thought of one of those things where you like, do I want to be famous for the thing that I do, <laughs> or do I just want my work to be recognized and for people to know that I am responsible for that work, but I don't want the fame associated with that. 
if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I'd love for the work to get notoriety and attention and for people to know that he produced that work, but I don't want the quote-unquote fame and attention that goes with that um, kind of... Um, it's a weird thing because you can't separate that. So, but well, in my... I, I think you can manage it a little bit. Yeah. But um, I think that uh, there are plenty of artists out there that have stellar records in terms of maintaining their privacy, but also maintaining their name publicly. Like they're really out there. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know anything about them, but I know their work. And exactly. I, I know their name, and I might, maybe I know who they're married to. Or who they're seeing, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but beyond that, I don't. And I think that those who, who, those people, we'll have to dig them up later. But those people could be <laughs> models for you, yeah. Because um, I, I over the years, I thought you know initially, I thought I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be able to walk into a restaurant and be like, anything you want is comp because you're so magnificent. <laughs> exactly. But after 2013 was a horrible year mm. for me, in which I learned that by having a name out there people expect more from you in terms of what you can give them right. and whether it's true or not. And so it's just like, uh, I, I remember I started shutting down and changing sort of my approach to my public presence mm. Mm. when I got applications for internships. I'm like, why the fuck are you an intern <laughs> for me? I'm worth no credits whatsoever. Right. You won't learn shit. What are you going to do? Like scoop my litter box? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. And so it was just like, do I really want to be the person that people want a job with? Or do I want to be the person who can help people figure out how to establish careers for themselves? Because I, th I do mm. think that one of the things our society is missing is a sort of mentorship on how to start businesses and work for the yeah. self. And that I can help people with. That I, I can totally... Um, I know for a fact my experiences will be useful there and yeah. I can mentor that. Um, but be an employer in our society is one of the hardest, most expensive things right now because everything we don't live in a society that um, really is structured for humans. Mm -hmm. You know, it's structured for businesses, but even then it's really brutal. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just like, do I want to live in a society where 100% of a person do I want to run a business where 100% of a person's livelihood is dependent on me always being able to function? Yes. I know I'm not always able to function. <laughs> I, I have to drag myself out of bed every day because I'm up till 4 a.m. Oh binging. Yeah. And, and so, like, I know I'm not that owner, that business owner. Yeah. Even though I have idealized ideas about it, like I know for a fact that if, if I had a fully funded company, I would be a stellar business owner. Mm. You get all the holidays you want. You want to... You want time off to spend with your kid on their birthday? Take it. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's who I would be, but is I that, am not in that. Business <laughs> is that feasible for a successful <laughs> business? Yeah, exactly. Um, no, but to, to answer your question earlier uh, about um, how the world sees, uh, you know, how your um, trajectory as an artist is taking shape in public and how you perceive it, it's one of the most, you know. Uh, fractured point of views ever because I mean yeah. even for, for someone who was coming up as a photographer and looking up to a lot of photographers that were like getting you know New York Times assignment and features in Vogue and all these publications and you're like oh my god this person has made it and they're like yo I can't pay rent this month <laughs> and I'm like it's so hard to like really marry those two 
perspectives together yeah. but like that's the the reality of like what it's like to be a quote-unquote struggling artist and I think that's such a, a thing that we double down on these days. Like, oh, you're an artist. You're supposed to be struggling. But it's like, it really doesn't have to be, it really doesn't have to be that way. Um, no, and there has to be a way beyond that. Um, and But I do think in the same way that people are trying to, uh, folks like uh, business owners like Gary Vaynerchuk, Vaynerchuk and a lot more people like him who, who are trying to like make, transparent the world of entrepreneurship and making people realize that listen it might be trendy to call yourself an entrepreneur but some of you are not going to make it and some of you are not qualified to you know take on this challenge yeah. or take on this um responsibility in the same way that they're trying to make that a, uh, you know something very t transparent in their industry i think it's necessary for um, our industry as filmmakers and photographers um, for people to understand that, you know, the success that you see people get in publicly is not necessarily, does not necessarily amount to personal success. Um, you're recognized by your industry in a way, but you're not necessarily um, being compensated enough to make a living. Uh, yeah. There's a, a filmmaker recently that I discovered um, Ramel Ross, who released a documentary film in, I believe, 2018 uh, by the name of Hale County. Uh, oh, I can't remember the full. Um, I can't remember the full title, but um, he released a stellar documentary in 2018 and he got nominated for an Emmy. This was his first major project and dude got nominated for an Emmy. And it was an Emmy, an Oscar. I don't know. One of those. Uh, what was the medium? Film? Uh, documentary or, film. Do document oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But one What's of those. What's the name of it? Uh, Hale County. How do you spell H A H A L E County something? There's another um, uh, thing to that. Film. Um, but yeah, I mean, he got a lot of attention because of this work, and I think people were expecting him to like now delve deeper into like becoming a director and like taking on you know a lot more prestigious like roles and he was like no i still want to make all the shit that i want to make um like all the quirky weird experimental things that he wants to make um but yeah i mean i, I think it's a it's a really weird thing to like be getting work but not necessarily making a living it's i don't i don't know the way out of that Especially during COVID. And it's more common than I think civilians might uh, realize. Like, I have two two friends who both published books this autumn. Mm -hmm. uh, and stellar books. One of them was at the top of Amazon science fiction list. Wow. Like, because of all the pre-orders. Wow. And I, I, I asked both of them, what are you doing now? One of them went back to teaching. The other one went back to teaching. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's not like you... You have it out there, and then you make it, and and that's that's an age old story with film too. Like you have the few outliers where like like Kevin Smith who would go to Sundance make one film, mm. and then he blows up, but you have so many people who won Sundance that didn't wind up with filmmaking careers. Yeah, uh, and you would think that everybody who wins a, a top award like that would, uh, but you know I got I, I'm not gonna name name his name, uh, mm -hmm. but he's he's a very good friend of mine. Um, I've interviewed I went out to L A some years back to interview him. Uh, 
he won Sundance. He's directed a lot of television shows mm-hmm. and he's directed films for Martin Scorsese. But he Holy just, shit. He, he hadn't landed the way you would expect somebody with all those credentials to land. Wow. And it just happens. I don't know why it happens or how it happens. But yeah. That's and but that's a huge part of the reason that um, I think that both of our podcasts are are important because these stories yes have to get out there they have to they have to matter for something because if the more people out there choose this life that understand what they may or may not be in for yes the more likely they're going to succeed at it because yeah. to me it is a life it's not a career it's it's and I know this sounds really like I'm positioning myself as if I'm sort of um, what's the word? Uh, privileged, uh-huh. but uh, it's it's not that because you know I, I came from poverty. I came from parents who couldn't make ends meet. And, yeah, uh, you know there were reports filed about me at school because I was underfed. Hmm. Uh, I come from you know actually we wound up in Staten Island because we got evicted because we couldn't make our rent. Wow. Uh, initially, yeah, and it's just like. It's, it has nothing to do with that and everything to do with life choices and knowing that is this what you want and if this is what you want, here's kind of how people are able to fit it into their lives regardless yeah. of whether they're successful or not. Yeah, the, and, there's got to be a blueprint of some sort to really follow if you're not, um, like you said, privileged enough to have an education, a formal education. Yeah. If you're not... Um, uh, around industry professionals or able to get an internship at you know places that you like there's a lot of things that goes into not everybody's going to be able to afford you know a full-fledged um formal education in the space that they want to operate in i mean i i took an intro to photography class and i was like oh i like this and then two years later i was like maybe i can pursue this and then i just kind of figured it out yeah and i'm still figuring it out um and, you know, when I'm around people who I consider peers or contemporaries, um, a lot of them have bachelor's, you know, degrees in photo- photography, master's degrees in photography, um, have interned at multiple publications, um, have had many assignments with different publications. So I feel like, you know, maybe I, I'm not cut out for this world because a lot of people just, you know, are eons in you know years beyond where i'm at um they have a lot of experience in in, you know that's the that's that's the thing that i i am always trying to get people starting out to not think about is what's been done who's done it and what and that's that and 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 if you get really disenchanted because you find out that they're still working (laughs) it's just like oh shit they're still in the business yeah Uh, But it, it, but that's not important because they're really those are people that are just going off their life experiences and you can't you're never gonna duplicate that yeah yeah you know you shouldn't try and honestly people just need to learn how to convey their own experiences to the medium that they're working that's in. that's and it. as long as you're being honest about that somebody somewhere will recognize that even if they're not the person who's gonna make or break you yeah and and that's also one of those things that I think people need to be taught in any of these programs where they're learning, yeah. how, learning these mediums initially. I think a lot of times we, we template, we try to use what others have done historically or what they're doing currently as yeah. like a template for, okay, so this is what I have to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like, as a documentary photographer and someone who's very interested in photojournalism, 
I, I see how people have gone about doing things in the past. I see the traditional way of how you're supposed to move as a you know, documentary photographer slash photojournalist. And I'm just like, maybe the way that I operate is just different. And maybe there's a gift in not being formally trained. Um, and maybe there's a way of like, hey, I care about this issue. I'm going to focus my resources on this issue and, you know, work to really make a compelling work and uh, go okay. about making sure this work gets seen in the way that I know or in the way that I think it should, like, in the way that, you know, tra that trajectory should take place. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just about, like you said, being authentic and just following what you think works for you. And sometimes I think you'll surprise yourself in, in, in the way that you didn't really see coming. I think um, the idea of a podcast was never an idea that I had for a long time. It just kind of happened. So yeah. it made sense at the time to start that. So I think a lot of these new ways of going about accomplishing the thing. I mean, you made a whole film during a lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something you like, you know, plan. It's just like, no, I'm going to do this now. Oh, um, yeah, that thing didn't go according to plan at all. But that was supposed <laughs> to be made before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, but that was also one of those things where init my initial collaborators had the wrong ideas about it. Mm. They thought it was going to go the way all the stories told them it would go. Yeah. And then after the pandemic, um, I unfortunately had to lose all of them mm. um, for one reason or another. And so I made sure I got people who didn't have those expectations. Right. Um, I hate to say it, but I think that some of the actors probably didn't watch as many movies as I've watched or knew the <laughs> backstories. Yeah. And that might have gone into why it was able to work itself out. Hmm. Because um, I do think that those other people's stories can damage productivity a great deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in movie making. Um, sure. And writing. Writing. I, yeah. I, I pursue writing a great deal. And. The amount of people trying to duplicate their heroes is mind-boggling. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I think that that can be a, a not necessarily. I mean, like when I first started as a, as a photographer, I copied. <laughs> well, you I, copy as as a way to get to know the medium yes. and what's what works and doesn't work yeah. or what have you. But yeah. we're talking about MFA writers yeah, who are trying trash. to duplicate <laughs> the career trajectory of an author who succeeded in the late 60s. Yeah, and no. it just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. There's the, the, I think the, the, the process of, of making as a beginner should always be like, copy if you feel like that's the way to go about it, and then at some point, pivot. Yeah. And then start, I mean, that's always been the way that I've done anything. I copy someone who I really admire, and then I'm like, all right, I'm done now. <laughs> and then, because, I mean, after a while, you see that, okay, now I know and I have my bearings. Yeah. Okay, now what am I trying to say? And then you just pivot and, like, you know, go on your own path. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, some people feel like they can replicate what's been done, and I see no purpose in that. Um, it's, it's a really difficult – I mean, I, I should ask you, like, how are you navigating – the waters now as a creative um with all the restrictions that you know well we were the first back when new york started lifting the bands uh, in july oh wow and 
but they hadn't yet put out the guidelines for film, so we made it up. And it turns out that we actually were overkill in terms of like what is actually expected. So yeah. we got tested. Uh, everybody else who worked on it got tested. And then I provided, as a matter of political protest against the business owners who aren't providing PPE, I provided a ton of PPE wow. in the form of gift bags that had masks, um, uh, hand sanitizer, facial wipes, etc. Yeah. Um, and you know we were as socially distanced as can be, and uh, but it didn't really matter anyway because we were all constantly tested and drove around in private transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it turned when when we turned to a production outside of the building, we just basically went early to locations around the city early in the morning before people were out and about and gotcha. filmed our scenes. But um, what when they released the guidelines for New York City filming, it was basically some of that. Yeah, <laughs> we were like we were overkill. The one thing that I don't think they can do is like setups with fake police and all that, like because right. of all the protests. But um, yeah, it's it's basically like it felt good to know that we were among the first, and uh, that every decision I made was not only in line with health experts, but it actually exceeded it. Mm. Um, and so that was that's kind of how we approached that film. As far as what we're doing, what I'm doing now, um, as I'm editing it, I'm basically uh, watching my money run out <laughs> and <Listen. laughs> trying to power through this pro- this editing process. Yeah, and I'm, I think everybody in our neighborhood is watching their money just go like a game. Every every week, it's just like all right, that's a hundred gone, and then all right. It's 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 really um, it's 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 really nerve wracking. Yeah. And the reason I started the podcast is because I needed a way to get out of my head and talk about the things that I that's, really care about, and that's of course yeah. the art life. Yeah, I I, I say every time I've been saying this since March or May actually that if I was not a creative person and I didn't have like ideas that could maybe do something, I would probably have lost it by now. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that's not exaggerating. It I, really, I, no, it makes a difference. Like I, dude, I've been in the zone where I paced back and forth across the pedestrian ramp of the GW bridge. Jesus. And honestly, if it wasn't for my passion for this, yeah, it might've happened. Yeah. But I think a lot, I'm not the only artist, of course, that has had no, a yeah. on the stool that way. But it's, it's one of those things where like, uh, I know there are people out there who were never who never found their medium right mm-hmm. and they're just living in quiet desperation yeah and they don't know why yeah. and i and i never wanted to become that and 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 if i don't know if we can find a way to use our voices to find those people and say yes. hey have you tried this this or this yeah here's a way to kind of get started uh i think we could save a lot of people <laughs> i mean honestly yeah, i know it, that's it like sounds... a big idea but <laughs> no but i mean it sounds like a, a out of this world kind of thing and it sounds like you're exaggerating but like seriously man i think there's the 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 need for people to just hear other people's voices when they're feeling lost or out of place yeah um especially when you know it is like i want to figure out what i want to do with my life and i don't know so like there are you know things that can provide a sense of purpose um for people and you know the, my podcast is one of those ideas and i feel like yours is really touching on that as well which is like just get into ex- have people exposed to yeah. so many things 
because one of those things will will touch you. Yeah. Um, you know, when when I dropped out of college in 2012 and I started doing kung fu because I was freaking lost. Yeah. Um, that sounds awesome though. Yeah. Kung fu <laughs> of college. It was dope. But like, you know, luckily my Kung Fu teacher was like the guy that just knew everything about everything. He knew about typography. He knew about design. He knew about filmmaking. He knew about uh, art in the museum. He knew about just every fucking thing. And one of those things was, was photography. And at the time I was taking a photography class before, before I ended up dropping out, I, I was taking a photography class. And I remember him telling me, how, uh, asking me how photography was going. And I was like, it's all right. You know, it's, it's okay. Um, and he was like, what, what's the teacher having you do? And I was like, you know, they're having us do this and this. And I was like, it's okay. He was like, if you're passionate about something, don't just tell me it's okay. Like, there's got to be a lot more passion in you. Like, tell me about what you're learning, how that's making you feel. And are you doing homework on your own to like really research some of the great photographers of, and that kind of, that talk really just made me dive into what I was interested in, but not really um, at the time showing that I, I cared about. So um, I didn't know anything about photography until I had someone talking to me about photography. Yeah. So well, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, I remember so it really does make a huge difference. When I, I made my first edited video in high school and yeah. I didn't know really, I had no plans. I know I've always been obsessed with movies, but I had no plans mm. until um, a friend of the family, his name was George Callen. He has since passed. Mm. Um, but I remember him saying, Eric, this is really excellent work, and I think you should keep pursuing this. And if it wasn't for that, mm. I wouldn't have. I probably would still be back in Maine, yeah. you know, living in squalor or dead. Yeah. Because uh, I had a rough upbringing where I was getting arrested a lot. Wow. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that. Um, that's for another for podcast. <laughs> okay. But, uh, we'll save that for another I, one. Yeah, we'll save that for the next one. Uh, but... Um, you know, I want to just go back to the financial thing because I know yes. it's hard for everybody in this building and everybody pretty yeah. much in our neighborhood because we live in the best neighborhood in Staten Island. Arguably. Uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, I was just starting to get it. I was just starting to understand money. Really? Math, how this should work, how pricing should work, yeah. how to save. That wasn't, that was, all, you know, that was something I had to learn. Um, yeah. And... I was just starting to get it, and then the pandemic happens. Wow. And I know that this is going to sound really kind of odd, but you nobody listening to this podcast has it as bad as other people. And, mm. and the fact of the matter is, if you're listening to this podcast, you at least have a mechanism to listen yes, to podcasts. Right. And that's one up on a whole lot of people that I've seen that don't have the ability to do that. They don't have computers. They don't have smartphones. Yeah. They don't know how to navigate the unemployment system because uh, it is kind of a tough administrative process. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's always going to be somebody who has it harder. And knowing that, I think that if, for me, the way I deal with it is, all right, I don't have it as bad as, as somebody else. Yeah. So how do I, how do I want up it tomorrow? Mm. So, I ha what I do is I have all these tasks that are financially related that I save for Tuesdays and Wednesdays. That's brilliant. And then Tuesdays and Wednesdays is pretty much the days when I'm doing all of that stuff. And then the rest of the week, because I, 
I don't have a choice, right? I'm yeah. just sitting at home during a pandemic. The rest of the week is dedicated to either editing my movie, mm-hmm. writing a screenplay, writing a novel. Um, I, I have, I'm a guy who has a multitude of different mediums and different projects mm-hmm. going on at the same time simultaneously. What are these uh, financial tasks that you so, set up aside for those sure. days? Sure. Um, go through all the bills. Because okay. um, I made a lot of money last year and I'm making none this year. Yeah. I have to pay these IRS taxes kind right. of in installments. And so um, I, I work on that. I work on, all right, next month I'm going to owe this, this, and this to these people and this, yeah. this, and this to those people. How do I separate that based on what I'm getting in? Because what I'm getting in is basically unemployment. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, without a stimulus being passed, yeah. I basically find myself in a position where I'm budgeting for almost the exact amount I need to make all my minimum payments. Yes. And then what's left over is maybe a few dollars here, a few dollars there. Yeah. Um, which are then put towards usually gas. <laughs> um, and so I, I, I have the... I But one of the reasons I say that um, there's somebody always worse off mm-hmm. and that you can build on it is I had the luxury of kind of anticipating that the pandemic wasn't going to be over. Right. Wow. Um, I wanted it to be over by June, yeah. but I had a funny feeling that it wasn't going to be. Hmm. And so before I ran out of money, I ended up padding all my car payments through 2021. That's now, good. I know nobody does shit like that. <laughs> and usually I wouldn't do stuff like that. But, like, I'm just like, all right, I don't want to have to worry about my car. Yeah. So I padded all my payments. So I know I don't have to worry about that. And I, But I know that at, in January or February or, or, or whatever month it is going to mm-hmm. end up being, that'll, that'll be added to one of my Tuesday, Wednesday tasks is to figure out, okay, how do I loop this back into my schedule? Of, yeah. But hopefully by then we'll have some sort of financial solution or the world will fall apart. <laughs> uh, I'm prepared to be in debt until I die. <laughs> but that was that was a decision I made when I decided to enroll in an MFA writing program. Oh, wow. I was just like, all right, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to be in debt until I die, whatever. Fuck. Or, <laughs> or, or end up fucking making a film that blows up and, you know, handles I, that Ideally, yeah that, yeah. that would be the, the way to go. And yeah. I totally would pay it off if I could. Absolutely. Um, but it was one of those things where... A lot of people panic about the money, and it's just like, well, it's not really money I'll ever see, but mm. it's an experience I could choose to have. Um, and so, okay, so what would my monthly be? It wouldn't be that big of a break for my budget when I get around to start having to pay that debt back. Yeah. And so I just, you know, I sprang for it, and uh, I'm prepared to just be in debt till I die, <laughs> which will probably be in my 80s. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's it's rough, man. Um, I've got to be honest. It's It's... It's tough. Yeah. Because uh, you know what it is? It's like there's no, it doesn't seem like the, the system knows yeah. that it doesn't work. Yes. And it doesn't seem like anybody's making a conscious effort to fix it. No, no. They, if anything, they're, they're purposefully doubling down on the fact that they won't fix it. They know they're supposed to fix it, but it's they ego. won't fix it. Um, and this is why I'm so like very anti-politics. Um, or like care about even involving myself in politics because it's all a fucking sham and it doesn't get anywhere. It's a dangerous game and it's, you just, it creates a lot of resentment with people. Yeah. Um, I have to fight to ignore some of the asinine comments I hear from people in the grocery store (laughs) about who they're supporting and we know who I'm talking about. And so it's just like, 
how is this how what does this matter like yeah. because because helping people should not be a political issue exactly right that should be a hey we're human beings and oh. people are fucking suffering let's help exactly and that's it's just it. like that's the also, conversation science shouldn't be a political issue right like how you know there was this meme that trevor noah put up on his youtube yeah. feed which was basically like a conversation a hypocritical conversation with a trump voter who was like uh i, b- I believe in uh life therefore women shouldn't get abortions so why aren't you wearing a mask because i believe in free <laughs> air or something like that and it was just like, yeah, yeah <laughs> i don't yeah. remember the specific wording but yeah. the, the hypocrisy it doesn't of carry over yeah. so many people's political positions yeah just don't click there's and- no consistency i mean if anything like consistency would be great like if you're consistent across the board by all means like keep your you know your perspectives on all things but i just need people to be very um consistent i mean mean, even in like terms of like i I think there is some sections of the united states that really only care about being turned on patriotically so there's this blind patriotism that is affected a huge swath of middle america Mm. and that was evident in after 9-11 right after 9-11 everybody was like Pro New York because it represented being pro America. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. now everybody's anti New York because it doesn't represent the America that we're, we're now officially. That's <laughs> we're now officially labeled an anarchist city by the federal government and really? can't get funding until we're we're taken off that list. I didn't and know that. Yeah, yeah. We we can't. We're no longer qualified for federal funds because the Trump administration has labeled New York City an anarchist city, which is the most asinine thing. <laughs> like. I went into Manhattan last week, and I'll be going again tomorrow. Yeah, uh, it's the most peaceful fucking place. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like people are wearing masks for the most part. They're walk, you know, they're walking to the grocery store, doing their thing. I don't, I never, in all these months that I went in there, I never really saw anything going down. To I guess it sit. was the uh, the whole um, what was it? I think it's just like he doesn't want to fund the city that didn't vote for him, and so oh, he found a way to do it. Uh, he comes from a spiteful family and that's, that's kind of like, it's almost like I hear people at NPR talking about what it could have been, but like, it's always to me, like, why doesn't anybody just like call it out for what it is? Right. He's a spiteful guy. His home state didn't go to bat for him. He had to move his legal address to Florida because he doesn't want to come back because he knows he's not welcome back. (laughs) And so it's just like, that's all it is. And, and I don't know. It'd be so much better if we never needed those federal funds. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, if they do a little bit of budgeting, I'm pretty sure they could find a way to not have to have them. Um, I think it only accounts for like 6% of our budget or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy. And so what, what I, I, I'm trying to advocate for is less focus on politics, more focus on helping one another, yeah. creating, using your, your pastime to create something that matters where... We can learn about who you are through yeah. your work and just get through this thing until uh, a safe vaccine comes along. Don't yeah, take the yeah. first one to give you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that, that's, the, that's the way to go. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very much a, an advocate for transparency to the point where it feels uncomfortable. Um, even for myself, too. Like, it's something that I'm having to, like, learn how to negotiate with myself. Um, yeah. Prior to this year, I didn't really talk about a lot of the personal stresses that I, you know, go through outside of like a pandemic. Like, you know, I am like 
I go through like waves of depression. I go through waves of feeling super productive and then just feeling super smacked on the floor. Um, yeah. And, you know, combine that with like finances, financially stressed, like beyond stressed. Um, but like you said, that's relatable um, or relative rather, um, because uh, there are people who don't have a roof over their heads right now. Oh, yeah. Um, who have been evicted, who, you know, you have know. it a lot more worse or are in a different stage of this stress. So, um, and the other thing too is like, it's beyond stress, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, and that's putting it as kindly as possible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one. There isn't really much that can be done about it because not a lot of places are willing to go back into production yeah. full, full on because. I actually um, heard a podcast yesterday. They were talking about how just to COVID-proof a film set or a photography shoot would cost like 50 grand. Jesus. Yeah. And so a lot of people aren't even – like a lot of TV shows aren't going for new, for new seasons because it's just wow. too expensive right yeah. now. But um, the other thing too about the roof over the head uh, – it's not even just the physical roof. Mm. You have the brain to not wind up yeah. living at St. George Terminal or White House. Not a lot of people have the mental ability to navigate their lives in a way where they don't wind up living yeah. there. And uh, for those of you who aren't in the New York City area, uh, the ferry terminals that connect Staten Island and Manhattan are basically where the city allows homeless people to live uh, during the winters mm. uh, and during the pandemic because there's not a lot of shelters that are available for them. Right. And so, but the fact though, that we have the capacity to navigate our lives in a way where we never, ha we're never going to wind up there. We just don't, our, our thinking isn't there. That's uh, the, that's the goal. <laughs> and that's one up, man. So that's... regardless of money, we're going to figure out how to navigate to yeah. the next roof and then the next roof. Yeah. I mean, but I think the challenge is that in that navigation, like, Cause like I mean I, honestly, there, there's moments where I'm just like, fam, <laughs> yeah. how are things looking next week? <laughs> oh, I know, I know. Um, so, but here's the other thing too: is one, you're not alone. Before, yeah, yeah. it was like, oh, I'm alone and I'm the biggest failure in the world. Now everybody's in it. Yeah, that's a and good. Some point. of the more successful people in my mind are going through shit. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, what, this is what we're all going through. It's totally normal, and. Honestly, like nobody's gonna come knocking on your door telling you to leave. Yeah, like it's just, that's the fact of the matter. And if they did, we'd all have your back. And yeah. uh, I would think that um, they'd be too scared of me to come and try to get me out because <laughs> I have the biggest anger management condition you could possibly imagine. Listen, there's a, a there's so many advantages to that. Um, I think from for me, like I have this personality where I can blow, and I. I guess I haven't done that in so long that I don't remember what that's like, but I can blow. Um, but there's also the more uh, deep, there's a default version of me where, you know, I'm very calm. And like yesterday in the apartment next door, they're banging away. Oh, like yeah. we did a podcast about them. Destroying. I mean, I can't wait to listen to that because I, I saw the t title for it. Um, they're just like destroying my walls. Like there's <laughs> dust falling off everywhere and I'm just sitting there like almost in like a meditative state because I'm like, if I blow up, what's the solution? There, I mean, it's not going to change much so I'm just like, I'm just going to take this in and just like let it pass and it passed and I'm just like, all right. And 
you just had to fucking sweep the floor again for like yeah. the hundredth time. So it's just like there's a place and time for for um, you know showing off that side of you that needs to just release. And I've tried to like really learn how to manage myself because I, I think it's a matter of like understanding kind of like my own. I don't know. It's kind of, maybe it's one of the reasons why I also don't drink because um, I'm just like I. I want to know that I can manage myself, yeah, and I want to be in control as much as possible. Yeah, and sometimes um, that takes that takes all your faculties. Yeah, Dude, were so, you were you here when I lost my shit with these guys? I heard you when I was yelling at them, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a, a need for that because I'm like a part of me wishes I could do that. Look up at that wall. Do you see up on the upper right? There's yeah, a pair of bricks sticking it's out. Loose, yeah, if you. Don't go up there. But if you were to go up, stand on that desk and look in, you'd yeah. see light from the other building. Wow. Because they actually punched a hole into yeah. our apartment. And that's what got them shut down. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, technically a, part of me, a part of me, when I heard you go out there, I was like, that's been boiling inside me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but a part of me just like, you know, I, I get in my own head a lot where I'm just like, yeah, there's no need for that. You know, um, things will pass. Um, it's not the end of the world construction will happen it's new york city yeah um and you just got to eat it sometimes um my big yeah. thing was i just didn't want it falling on i mean because these walls have... these are load-bearing walls they yeah. hold up our roofs and i just didn't want them knocking them down you had every right to to, <laughs> to explode <laughs> just like um oof. but yeah i think um i forget what we we're talking about but you know uh, anger transparency at all at all costs is necessary because yeah. um i i i personally hate when people um talk about how they're running their business and how they're functioning and how you're surviving but aren't really willing to go into like details and i'm like yeah. yo i'm struggling um yeah. and well that's there's... the big thing is like people want don't they they feel like they have to hide the humanity of what they're doing yes. the struggle of what they're doing yeah. and the bells and whistles because Maybe there's an aspect of what they're doing they don't feel is 100% in line with what you know they think they should be doing, or mm. maybe it's they feel like it should be confidential because they were taught that all oh, the numbers are confidential. Yeah. Don't talk about them, or I don't know what it what it is. I just know that it does, never really worked for me. I want to know exactly what's going on with yeah. with the people that I'm modeling, sort of that I was initially modeling myself around, and why it wasn't working. And it turns out because they're only showing you. A sliver. <laughs> a sliver of what they want. It's like Instagram. It's, yeah. I got off Instagram recently because I got tired of seeing only what they want you to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I know that everybody pisses and shits just like me. I know yeah. everybody goes to the doctor when they get panicked about a condition. Like, you don't have to tell, show me that your life is perfect. I want to see what's imperfect about it. Yeah, yeah, I want to yeah. see the grit. I want to see the dirt on the tarmac. You don't have to sweep the dirt off the tarmac. <laughs> I want to see the dirt on the tarmac. I want to see the leaves fall on the ground. Don't rake the leaves when I yeah. come over to visit. That's a uh, great, that's a good way to put it. No, yeah. I mean it's it's. I think it's it's a really it's a on Instagram especially. Uh, I think it's for me it's personally challenging because it feels like when you post these personal things. Uh, it almost feels like you're seeking validation or like seeking um, attention, if you will. So sometimes I shy away from like getting very personal because like I, I want to be very personal. But um, I think the mediums that we're utilizing to be personal aren't the best 
yeah. mechanisms for reaching, you know, to get into that point. And I actually felt myself doing, I felt myself kind of becoming an Instagrammer that only conveyed positive things. Yes. And I'm like, this medium isn't working for my message. Yeah. It kind of actually works against my message. So I deleted it. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And then I, I, shortly after I actually started this podcast, because I just kind of realized, well, the podcast isn't perfect yet, but I think this is more honest. Because yes. as long as I'm not et- like editing out things, like yeah. I can just have this honest, raw recording where if it's just me rambling about shit, yeah. which I don't prefer at this point, but sometimes <laughs> I'm going to have to do it. Or if I'm talking to somebody who has an experience of value to other people. Yeah, yeah. The, the other day, that matters more. I was against um, these like self-ramblings of like, it's just you and no guest. I was against it. But like earlier this week, um, or maybe it was, it was last week, I was like, I have this feeling that I want to shed some light on, um, which is uh, around this topic. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I want to talk about how I'm feeling currently, how things are going. Because like a lot of people don't know. Um, and it's not for you to know about me, Stephen. It's for you to know about artists in similar predicaments, yeah. um, inside or outside of the COVID situation. What you're feeling is normal. Yeah, yeah. like know more about what people who you know you think uh, this guy had uh, five exhibitions this year, um, so he must be doing good. But then when you hear this episode of a podcast, you're like, holy shit, I didn't know. Um, that you were struggling or I didn't know that you were going through this or I didn't know that there were challenges in these areas of your your um, pursuit. So um, there's a need for things to be very transparent and um, I really do want to get to that point. Um, with, and that, that was like the challenge of figuring out how I interview people because um, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. I want you to feel like a guest. I want you to feel welcome. Yeah. But I think the purpose of the podcast and getting to a point where you're um, really unearthing a lot of these things that nobody talks about. It's to make these people potentially feel uncomfortable. Um, where I am going to ask you questions nobody else is going to ask you because I am after those really tangible um, uh, information that you're not used to giving everywhere else, yeah. right? People are so used to giving the same answers and the same stories on like there was a guy that I interviewed that before I got on the phone call with him or the Zoom call with him I was listening to a previous episode that he had done on another podcast and after our conversation the same stories he told on that podcast were the same was the same stories he told on my podcast so I'm like there's no purpose mm. to that there's no point yeah I've seen uh, I've experienced you know what I mean yeah. so it's just like I want to be able to ask you questions or take you to a whole different place that um, might not be like completely far away from what you're used to, but like in that process, we get to a place where um, you really touch on a lot of the things that I think you want to talk to talk about and haven't been asked, but also like listeners want to hear about, but haven't had the opportunity to um, listen in on. So, yeah, hmm. yeah, and. Um... <clears throat> I totally 100% appreciate the fact that you recognize that about people, the, you know, the, especially the psych recycling of the stories thing, which always yeah. kind of got under my skin uh, <laughs> as a professional video person for a podcast. Ooh. Uh, uh, and it's, it takes a talent to get something new out of people who are programmed and trained 
to sort of do the press circuit. Yes. And <laughs> uh, it's uh, the, it, I, I don't think it does justice to the medium, and I don't think it's respectful of the medium to not be genuine. I don't know if you, um, to cut you off a little quickly, I don't know if you've uh, listened to or watched um, this late night show uh, host, um, Craig Ferguson. I love Craig Ferguson. He's my favorite. I actually been oh, watching so his YouTube uh, episodes <laughs> because I got so sick of our current late night yes. people. Yeah, so, I think he's an expert at late night. Outside of um, David Letterman, Craig is probably the best. I mean, you know, of course. Um, you know what? Johnny it, Carson. The, the act of ripping up his cards exactly was is so important at the beginning of Brings every one of in. his interviews. Yeah, it's like, oh, so we're now outside. the We're not on doing. This. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think that's the beauty of it because, like, you can see right through every single late night show host's, you know, performance. You can see right through it. Yeah. And this guy, even though he has a predictable formula in some cases of, like, I have jokes that I'll go to. I have kind of the, the mold of the jokes that I'll go to. Um, he's so free and he knows how to take you on a journey in the conversation where... Both of you guys don't know what's going to come, but you it will come and you'll be talking about, <laughs> you know, cats and dogs or some more profane version of, yeah. you know, a conversation that you didn't really expect you'd, you'd be having on, you know, a, a public platform. So, and, and, you know, the beautiful thing about his show is it's actually a great example of not only a stellar interviewer who just kind of knows yeah. how to get people in the zone, yeah. but it's a great example of why the person being interviewed needs to do their research and learn about who it is they're going on mm. because the people who were more familiar with his show not only did a better job at yes. being on the show yes. but they had the most recurring appearances yeah and they look forward to that too yeah um, they look forward to being on, on on that show because you know you're taking a real genuine experience away from that as opposed to a programmed you ask me a question and i give you an answer and you ask me it's like what's the purpose and i mean i think a lot of late night has been really the 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 phoniness of late night has been revealed because of covid because yeah. you see how talentless a lot of these people are um, oh yeah when like... they don't have the laugh tracks in the audience and all the distractions and the band members like they have no talent i agree 100%. i mean you know Folks have talent, um, I mean, but like in the sense of the like thing producing. is, is like Colbert to me, he peaked when the Colbert Report ended. Oh my god, absolutely! Um, that was a great show. Yeah, but I don't see, I don't know why he's a mainstream late night host. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it was like then, it's two different people. Yeah, I, like I think Conan, they should have give, given Conan another season to try and be on. Yeah. the Tonight Show. Yeah. Because um, I don't think Jimmy Fallon has it either. No, I think Conan is probably the last one that's like. Still has something. Um, I, don't, I mean, I don't, I don't watch these shows, but uh, I from what I, I clip them. <laughs> from what I've seen, I think Conan still has like an awareness of understanding. I was watching someone break down a show the other day, um, and he's the only one out of the whole, you know, um, cast of hosts that still has like this awareness of this platform is not the fullest form of comedy that's possible. And he's like doubling down on making fun of the, you know, um, the formula that they're so used to. So I, I think he he he's very self aware enough to like succeed yeah. nowadays. But like, uh, it's just a lost lost art. I think it needs to be retired. Well, he did the right thing by getting rid of the desk. 
Um, I don't know if you if you've seen oh, episodes seen that. of late. He got rid of the desk, and so now he has a little coffee table and these nice, comfy chairs where he just talks to people. Nice, and he doesn't dress in the suit anymore. He has more of a casual attire. That's great. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's the the Jerogan effect of like you know, people just want to have conversations with someone that's not um, produced. Like I was going through this the other day um, with my podcast, like. I'm tired of, I mean, it's funny, like, you comp, uh, you complimented me on the production and how well it's done. Like, that's great, but I think a part of me is also, like, tired of that production value of, like... It's stressful. Intro, it's outro, and you know what I mean? Like You don't need it. I just want to jump into conversation, and maybe the intro thing will kind of, like, be tweaked, but I want to jump into the conversation and... The best you're here for information, and I want to provide it to you. Yeah, and the best the best move to make is to, to is the move that will get people in the zone you want them in. Yeah, and not to mislead them about what it is. I yeah. remember my lesson on that was we did this we did six a uh, six pilots of a TV series. Yeah. Uh, back in 2009, 2010, something like that, uh, and uh, you know we had a prof- we licensed the song uh, to use in the opening credits. We did it all very professional mm-hmm. and. An early version of Google-owned YouTube, we put it put some up, and immediately the feedback was, "This looks way too professional and sounds too professional." <laughs> it was just like, but they they were expecting something more indie because of our budget and because oh. of who we were, and they didn't know who we were. Yeah, and uh, to, it, it really missed the idea. I got, I got the lesson I learned was, it you don't need to go balls to the wall like the professors because yes. that's not you know you're not recording this out of 30 rockefeller center you're right. not you know you, you don't even we neither, neither of us have financial backers yeah. who are mandating it i mean i'm sure if somebody decided to buy your podcast which is very likely it's a very good podcast and it's got a solid brand yeah and yeah, they'll they'll probably say, "All right, we've bought it. Now we need an official intro, and we need a theme music, right. and we need this, this, and this. And here's your format for how you're going to interview people." Yeah, like right now, it's freewheeling, and that should be embraced. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's it's um, Joe Rogan's podcast was licensed to Spotify, and it still retains the same format. Um, he's still the same person. I just heard him talking about um, how everyone's complaining about. <laughs> You know, Spotify employees want, you know, Rogan off the... And he's like, <laughs> I haven't gotten any com- communication from, from from Spotify. So it must just be a bunch of people who are mad, have their panties up in a yeah. bunch and, like, are complaining. But, like, it's I, I think there's a beauty in, you know, um, doing things the way you want to do things. Um, and I think that's the success that... That's what's led to, you know, his su- success. And I think that's what really i mean that's your dna it becomes your dna yeah. it's how you're communicating something it's how i want to communicate something and yeah i mean this is that a, becomes my a, this is eric's city life podcast and the first thing i want to tell you about living the city life right yeah. is don't stress out about all the bullshit that don't matter and that includes the intro to the podcast <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> honestly i think we overthink a lot of things because we do want people we're so concerned about how people perceive us um and yeah, if I just want to shoot the shit on my podcast for maybe 10 to 15 minutes to talk about something that relates to what you should be thinking about as an emerging artist, there's a freedom to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, but we box ourselves in so, so early and it just messes things up. Um, but 
Yeah, it's I mean, also part of like the figuring out advertising on podcasts. Um, for me personally, this goes back to like the perfectionism thing. I don't want to fucking take on advertising that's talking about blue chew and right. talking about oh, like, shave yeah, your balls James does that. <laughs> where well, it has nothing to do with the content. You know, I don't even read my own ads. You know that? First of all, I heard um, Jan read one of your ads and I was <laughs> yeah. like, she has the voice for ads. <laughs> that's why I had her read it. I'm that's like, just put it in perfect. context of you and my girlfriend. And, and so that's what I'm going to do for now. I'm just going to have her read all my it's ads. Perfect. Because yeah. I tried doing it and I sounded like, She's like, she listened to 30 seconds of a two-minute ad I did. And yeah. she's like, can I shut it off now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's not good. <laughs> but no, it sounded really great. So um, again, it's understanding what works um, and what works for you. Uh, for, so I think I give myself the right to pivot and shift and you know just go in a direction that I'm feeling. And it's one of the things that I've really learned from uh listening to a lot of the music music artists that i um am very like invested in um i think when we become fans of musicians we tend to want them to do the things they did to gain our love and attention yeah um so you released an album you know your first album like nas released uh illmatic and that was like a fucking critically proclaimed uh, acclaimed um album and everything he's done after that has been compared to that album. And it's just like, no, this is a person. This is a human being. He will evolve. There are things that he'll want to talk about and things he will not want to talk about. Um, Jay-Z at one point will talk about uh, selling drugs on the corner of Brooklyn Street. Mm-hmm. And nowadays he'll talk about what it's like to go through um, uh, cheating on his wife and <laughs> what that <laughs> what that is like and how not to go the route that he's gone through. So I think you have to give people the freedom to be able to, you know, showcase who they are through their art at the time that they're putting that thing out. So uh, I've learned to not be as critical of people in that space, in the musical space, in the art space, in uh, a lot of these spaces, because we're projecting what we want onto them. Yeah. Whereas it's a matter of this is how I want to, um, you know, this is these art forms are the ways that I want to communicate who I am as a person and how I'm experiencing life. And hopefully that resonates with you. If it doesn't, that's okay. Shut it off. <laughs> that's, you know, no, like I, I think a lot of artists also like kind of deal with what you were just describing too. like, yeah. The hip hop definitely does because I know people who would listen to everything before the blueprint, you know, because that was taking the leap from Marcy across the East River. Now he's living the high life in Manhattan. And then after that, well, what's it matter? What do you have to rap about? It doesn't matter. Like, (laughs) he's always going to rap about his experiences. Exactly. No matter what. And then if you're not a a hip hop person, listener, uh, the same story goes for every fucking rock band out yeah. there. Pink Floyd lost fans when they stopped with that psychedelic crap and went straight into, you know, the albums that made them like Dark Side of the Moon, mm. The Wall. Uh, but then even when they shifted again and lost Roger Waters, they lost a huge fan base. Mm. But they were still doing like the stuff that mattered to them. Exactly. And it's just, you know, uh, I don't know. I just uh, I don't I don't understand why I, I think people demanding something of creators actually poisons the well. Yes. A certain, and you can see that in streaming content a great deal. 
Oh yeah, right. Uh, one of the actually, hold on, before, and we can talk about this if you want. I don't really care about streaming all that much, but uh, <laughs> there's a show you have to watch, bro. And yeah. I want to get it on this podcast, this oh, recommendation, yes. because, uh, and we can go out with it or we can continue. I don't care. Where so far, it's the longest podcast ever. Uh, <laughs> it's one hour nineteen minutes. You predicted that though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this there's a show on HBO Max called Lovecraft Country. Hmm. Now, Lovecraft was a science fiction author from the early uh, 20th century, I think. Um, I studied him very briefly in my MFA. Um, but not, he invented a lot of sort of tropes that you see in science fiction. Hmm. And the other side of him, though, was he was incredibly racist. Interesting. And so what they did with Lovecraft Country was they created a Lovecraftian world. That does that not only has all of the monsters and beasts and stuff, yeah, but has the worst monster of all. It's the most racist environment that they could set their characters in, hmm. and it's it's honestly, if you when you think about like science fiction as a a way to have socio political parallels in fiction, yeah, this this show just is. The number one show to pull that off. Wow, I'm gonna and, have to watch and, that. Yeah, I don't know if you have HBO Max, but it's worth one month just to binge the first I have a season. Site that like takes all these shows. I want, I want to tell you about one the, the the first episode. I don't know if it's the first episode or the second episode. Yeah, but it's an early episode where the, not much has happened in terms of the science fiction aspects of it. But the, the this guy and his friends go to what they call Lovecraft Country, which is a very scary sort of southern type of town uh where they're not welcome hmm. uh they're african-american hmm. and they're going to find his father because his father went missing when he went into lovecraft country and this they're, they're about an hour from sunset and their car breaks down and then the sheriff pulls up hmm. and the sheriff says you have until sunset to cross the border or you're mine wow but, you know, in like a southern racist accent. Right. And so, <laughs> not that southern accents are racist, but they sound <laughs> racist. Uh, anyway, um, the, for like 20 minutes, you got this intense scene of them trying to get the car to the border. Wow. And the moment they get the car to the border, there's a group of police officers waiting for them. Wow. And you're just, of course, monsters come out and suddenly everybody's being chased by beasts mm. but it's one of those moments where you're like oh the real beast here is racism and it's just like it's such a fucking good show and it really unpacks a lot of uh the stuff about lovecraft that a lot of generations turned a blind eye to mm -hmm. because they were just always so obsessed with his science fiction that they ignored the elephant in the room yeah and this is like taking taking all of it and being like, well, here's who he truly was. Here's what his world would look like if he actually included all of this other bad shit that he oh, believed. Wow. Uh, and, and I don't know. I just it, the writing is impeccable. Yeah, and I really, really can't recommend it enough. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember what it is that uh, I was watching or listening to that kind of talks about this idea of um, a lot of these. Uh, worldly issues being addressed. I think it was uh, uh, James Cameron's Avatar, mm. where they 
parallel that experience to the experience of, I believe, Native Americans um, and how it's like basically the telling of Native Americans and colonial, uh, colonialism. Oh, it totally was. And I yeah. think in doing that, people tend to uh, be kind of, I don't know, you kind of accept the story for what it is, uh, but you're not fully able to come around to marrying that story to the experience of people who actually went through this in real life. Well, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But that, and the reason is because real tangible human beings were brutally murdered yeah. in the name of uh, trying to take land for profitable use. Right. And it's just like, you know, colonialism was a huge part of my undergraduate studies because oh, wow. half our literature was just rooted in, unpacking all that shit and it's just but there's, there's there's only so much you can do in fiction in terms of kind of mirroring that yeah yeah i mean it's a it's an easy easier p uh, pill to swallow um i don't know i just i guess it's it's that issue of like how do you let how does the work that you make impact the real world how does it make yeah. a difference in the real world and i mean there's no real way of going about figuring out the solution to that you just hope that you know there's hope it sticks yeah i mean i don't think james cameron ever said that this is for native americans but you know <laughs> yeah, i think he was more like i can see the parallels now that you say it yeah. um and totally yeah it's a similar story because colonialism in general is all the same story right a group of people go over to a place they don't belong take it over right delete all evidence of a culture and replace it with their own yeah that's basically the gist of it but I, th I think that he was more interested in the environmental message. Interesting. More okay. than anything. Yeah. Because um, he just doesn't strike me as a person who would give two shits <laughs> about colonialism. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, as a photographer and you, you as a filmmaker, who cares about, especially for me as a documentary photographer, who cares about, like, the stories that I want to tell has to have meaning for me yeah. um and i'm at the beginning of you know doing that where oh it's the mandatory the focus is like intimate storytelling that actually has purpose behind it has impact measured into it and um that's a challenge in and of, of itself trying to figure out how you know photographs can make an impact and you know um that's where the creative creative energy comes you know comes into play where you're like okay so how can i without backing without you know sponsorships or whatever how can you know an independent photographer with no name to himself make work that has an impact and for me impact doesn't have to be fucking global like yeah, yeah. or national it just like in my community what can i do that makes a difference in like one person or one family's life if i can do that i'm on the right path because I, I think that's the the that's that should be the goal, and you know, one person's story, like we've been saying, is not just solely your story. People relate to that. So, um, but yeah, I think that's that's kind of the the exciting challenge: figuring out how to to tell stories that really does have an impact. Well, you've done a really good job at sort of telling the story of our neighborhood. Uh, I was I was watching. Uh, watching, I was looking through some of your portfolio at one point. Yeah. I don't remember when, and I found a photo 
taken through a broken window. I think it was Carl's Clipper. Yes. Uh, that's my best guess based on the vantage point. And I'm like, yeah, that pretty much represents what this neighborhood is going through right now. A bunch yeah. of douchebags are buying up these <laughs> these lots, emptying the buildings, and then just leaving them derelict. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That checks. Uh, that tracks. And so it's just like I don't know. If this I saved that photo at one point because I'm just like this. This marks sort of this is the image that to me best represents mm. what this neighborhood is going through. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, funny. Uh, my my friend from Hong Kong came uh, over the summer last summer to see the exhibit, and he was asking me, "What's your favorite photo?" We haven't spoken about photography since he left, um, which was like when I was starting photography. So it was nice for someone who was there from the beginning to join me when I was having my first exhibition and show, tell, asking me um, what my favorite image was. And I was like, that photo, because for me, it did represent kind of my direction as a photographer. Um, it represented storytelling. It represented, um, and thank you so much for showing up to that show, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like you and I were not necessarily like, you know, in the space we're in now where we're like fully um, open and communicating with one another. Yeah. But it was really nice to have like, you know, a when was that show about? Up. What's that? When was the show? It was in June 2019. Okay. Yeah. yeah I wouldn't summer. have been in the space to communicate that well. I was, uh, I think I was finishing my MFA and I was just kind of pissy oh, that, sad that recently. about the job market. Yeah. You know, the black hole of the job application portal right. where you put in your soul and you don't get anything back. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's when I was, I was writing a lot of fractals back then oh. um, because of that whole black hole feeling. Yeah. And uh, so I, you know, I was trying my best. So I, I, I went to yours. I, went, I think I went to some screenings in Brooklyn. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, and those those are the things that I think too that it's important to communicate to people is no matter how you're feeling, it's worth something to try. Just to keep keep being out there, keep supporting one another, even if you don't feel supported. Yeah. And eventually, you know, you'll connect. Yeah, yeah. It, it might take a while. It might take a pandemic. Yeah. It might take a power outage. It might take a pandemic. Exactly. Power, power outage. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I do think um, it's funny because like that, you know, the day of the, the blackout for me, for someone who's very um, naturally uh, isolated and that's my default. Um, and I'm, it's like it takes work for me to get outside of, you know, being um, isolated. Um, I'm like events like that are necessary. Yeah. So now how can we facilitate events like this? Um, that doesn't require a blackout, and that's kind of the thinking Honestly, for me. Honestly, just reach out, and, and and that's that's part of it. Um, reaching the worst out. that could happen is oh, not available now, but maybe next week. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's just like it's, and that's the same thing. It's like I, I reached out to you and Kurt simultaneously. Yeah, because uh, I knew that I really wanted to to do this, and um, it doesn't hurt to yeah. reach out to people. And it's funny because like you and Kurt are are on my list of people to talk to um oh nice yeah yeah and I, I told him to um i told him weeks ago <laughs> but, but I, I just got in the place where i didn't know the direction of the podcast so i was just like i'll figure things out and then i'll i'll um reach out but i mean i think reaching out is one uh way of doing that um another way of doing that is uh i've been following a, a brooklyn collective of creatives um online and they meet every before pandemic they met every like month or every two months and they come together i don't know how it's facilitated but 
it's basically like a, a not a workshop necessarily but it's like people come together they have dinner and then um i guess they figure out like who's working on something that needs to be shown or who needs help with like uh reaching out to a photo editor editor or something like that like they figure out how to help one another get work yeah and or get help to understand how to get to the next level and i'm like i want that um because i don't have creative friends i don't have i mean, i don't have have creative friends i don't have people that i'm very close to on a very personal level um and i'm trying to cultivate that uh especially on the island so for me it's like how can i facilitate events like the blackout that brings people together how can i make that happen um you know in a way that brings me closer to people who are kind of like me um and you know i'm lucky enough to be in a in a building with yeah. creatives so that helps and, and people who are also thinking about the same thing like we've been exactly. racking our brains in this house hold to like how can we get us all together and we were talking about like doing movie screenings not exactly. necessarily my movies but any movie but that, and that's in the backyard idea. because now the backyard is really livable and it's just like oh we, we could do that i yeah. you know, have a projector we can yeah. get a screen pretty easily um and that would be fun too. And definitely, I, I. But I feel like too, like you, you luck. You're lucky for being a photographer because the photography community in New York City is so much more supportive of one another than the filmmaking community. Oh yeah, the hmm. filmmaking community is chock full of uh, bitter freelancers who are just realizing that it's not going to feel the way you want it to feel. <laughs> and whereas. Even in my undergrad, I went to school with a lot of uh, photographers because my mentor was technically a black and white photographer. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't a filmmaker or a writer. But um, being being his mentee meant that I was in a lot of classes and a lot of residencies with photographers. Mm. And there, every one of them was in some kind of collective where they would, you know, put their money together to pay a model. That's or, cool. you know, just... Oh, we need a location. Well, I'll you know we'll all come together and figure out how to get this location. Right. And, uh, that that you never see that in film, ever. Mm. Wow. And uh, I know I, I just think you're really, really, really lucky to have found that specific yeah. medium for yourself. And I guess my my goal. This is like a short term goal, um, and photographing on Staten Island has been like, ugh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> uh, when I first started, I was like, how do I get the hell out of, <laughs> how do I get, get out of Staten Island and photograph somewhere else? Um, where do you want to photograph? Where do I want to photograph? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just, you know, it's kind of like a lot we of the photographers. I got a car. That'd be cool. Because I've been, I've been trying to get out and do some scenic cinematography. That'd be fucking dope. Let's fucking do that. Yeah. <laughs> Finish your thought. I'm so down. Um, but like, you know, as, a, as, as someone who's starting out, you just like think of how do I, I mean, as someone who's starting out, who studied a lot of photographers, uh, photojournalists and documentary photographers who photographed everywhere else abroad, um, you know, I'm just like, I want to go photograph in fucking, you know, not Italy, but like some remote island somewhere across the seas like i want to be able to do that because you think that's the way you make good photographs to be in a different place um but then you know when you come to back to earth and you're like all right so i'm stuck here (laughs) how do i make work that i want to make um here and that's just you know um my my goal now uh my short-term goal now is to legitimize in a way staten island for documentary photographers um i can only speak 
to the lane within which I operate in. But I don't know a lot of documentary photographers in Staten Island. Um, there is a, a, there was a recent um, photographer who's uh, I have an exhibition showing alongside hers, um, Olga Ginsberg, and her work really blew me away because I was like you're the first documentary photographer that I know on Staten Island. So it's kind of like getting to curate um, a number of these people uh, in the documentary photojournalism space um, or street photography space um, because I feel like there's no community, there's no sense of community among photographers on Staten Island. There might be New York City-wide, but there's no sense of community for photographers on the island. So my short-term goal... I could connect you with a bunch, man. Please do. I'll do it. I'll um, email you. My, my short-term goal is to curate um, a list of really good emerging photographers in that space. And under the umbrella of Artisans in Trade, the platform, the website platform, um, you know, formulate like a local kind of collective that, you know, does what the Brooklyn version of what I spoke about earlier is doing, um, which is just like a sense of community, a sense of providing help, resources, um, you know, just all the things that we all need that we might not have access to. And, you know, p- providing access to podcasts like this one to say, oh, oh you want to listen about, you, you want to listen to business advice and, um, you know, yeah. filmmaking uh, insights and all these different things. Listen to this um, from a fellow, you know, filmmaker on Staten Island. You know what would be a really good episode is yeah. to actually have bring in experienced people. I can I think I can record up to six people, right? And we oh, yeah. we've, not here, but somewhere we set right. it up somewhere, and we have also people who are starting out to ask questions, and we just have a podcast where that's it's just brilliant. It's a almost like a class. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think that's what that's the exciting part of it. I think, um, th- what I really want is like for episodes to feel like mentorship sessions yeah right yeah like oh i have there's a um a photo editor that um uh i'm like getting to know more uh about um and we're like fostering a a relationship so like i want to be able to get to know get to know these people or even if i don't know them just reach out to them and say hey do you want to get on a podcast and talk about what emerging photographers need or emerging creatives need to know about editors and you know how to get their work in publications. Um, and that can just be like an hour-long session of like, ooh, I got to s- spend an hour um, being mentored by this person. Like, that's the goal. Because you're not going to get access to those people, uh, you know, any other way. Yeah. Uh, unless you get accepted to like uh, New York Times Portfolio Review or, you know, you're attending these workshops at B&H and all these different places. Like, but how can we provide that, you know, um, in a way that's accessible. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a healthy goal, and it's not, not not only healthy just for us, but for and for the people. It's healthy for society in general. Yes. So I feel like the arts are way overly competitive, and there's this problem of people uh, starting out being instantly jealous of one another. Yeah. Um, I see it too. I saw it initially in film school, where you know a lot of my film school was by you know the teachers were failed directors or failed writers mm. and they hated the idea that they were teaching somebody who's going to have the success they, ne- they never mm. had and but if you have if you if we can retool how this is all perceived yeah and structured around the idea of mentorship and mutual growth yeah 
Because that's what that to me is a true mentor. They're learning something from you too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, that's the beauty of it. I mean, I, I remember uh, my friend before he moved out to Hong Kong was working at a uh, an organization that provided services to people with disabilities. And his selling point to me at that time when I was looking for a job was, um, I've been in a mentor mentorship role to these people. And honestly, I've learned more from them than they've learned from me. And I was like, how do I make sense of what you're telling me? Like, that <laughs> makes no sense. You've learned more than, you know, you've been able to teach them. How does that make sense? And then he moved. And then like two, three years later of like me being in that same role of like mentoring them and like, you know, providing uh, workshops and things like that. I was like, I get it. You're learning a lot of patience. You're learning a lot of uh, um, how you teach. You're learning how you function under pressure. Like there's a lot to learn from people that you wouldn't even imagine you can learn from. So um, I definitely take to that. I think a lot of people in, professional roles can take a lot from people in student roles um and there's also this aspect of uh for me i feel like i'm not experienced i've only been a creative for five years um so that's a I, lot of experience to me yeah but i mean you know it's just been like self-taught up until this point and you know still figuring it out but it's like i don't have anything to share with y'all but a lot of people would think otherwise where you know they're like I'm getting to learn, you know, I'm getting access to people that I wouldn't otherwise have access to because of you. So that's special. And for me, that's like a huge, you know, that's a huge takeaway. If you can take something away from something that I'm able to facilitate because that's my role, that's success to me. That's how I, I measure success. Um, it would be nice to measure success by <laughs> funds too, but you know, you but figure that out. That's as you a go. recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think too, the, the, the amount of people who are financially successful at this is so finite that you, you, yeah. you do more damage by measuring yourself to that. Uh, because even they're not all that stable. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, um, it'll happen. It, yeah. it might not happen you know, in 2020, right. but it'll happen. Uh, I think that it's just a matter of getting through it and uh, pushing forward with these these ideas because these are, are great ideas. I think that your podcast kicks ass. Can you tell everybody what your podcast is and where they can find it? Yeah, uh, so it's um, Artisans and Trade. That's uh, Artisans and Trade on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, I created a Facebook page. I'm learning how to use Facebook again. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, that, yeah, so you can find it on artisansandtrade.com. Uh, um, and it's just going to house a lot of like uh, podcast episodes. It's going to house um, a lot of blog articles that are about a lot of the things that are being, you know, addressed on the podcast, but maybe a lot more in detail. Um, trying to get a lot of contributors who are, you know, writers to. Uh, just people across different um, fields who can provide a lot of insight into a lot of the topics that we're exploring. Um, And hopefully in the future, and maybe hopefully in the near future, uh, there'll be like a video component to all all of that where, you know, I can invite uh, a writer or a photo editor or, you know, a designer on and, you know, get to have them give like a 
20 minute or 30 minute quote unquote workshop that's recorded on video and we can throw that on the site and um, create a payment sort of model behind that. I don't know, still figuring things out, <laughs> but that's where things are now, just like in the idea phase and um, just getting these podcast episodes out. So I'll make sure I put links in the descriptions, um, but let's also, uh, if they want to see your photography work, where would you like them to oh, go? Oh yeah, thank you, I didn't, <laughs> sometimes I forget to think about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, my photography can be found on stevenobisanya.com, that's Stephen with a P-H-O-B-I-S-A-N-Y-A.com. And the same applies for Twitter, Instagram. Um, I rarely post on Instagram nowadays, but I'm trying to like only make posts when there's something worth sharing. Um, otherwise, um, just follow the website. I think we forget how important updating the website is, and I'm trying <laughs> to remember how to do that now. So a lot of the updates that I'm making are primarily on the website. So catch it Great. on there. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, coming on on this thing i hope you come back eric thank you so and, much man. Uh, i love this talking was really with you. fun <laughs> if, if you liked his voice better than mine subscribe to his podcast <laughs> if you like my voice better than his what the hell is wrong with you uh thanks everybody yo subscribe patreon this episodes. shit fucking donate whatever thanks everybody yes Bye. yes donate support the artists <laughs> thank you